Hi everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. I'm your host, Nia Mason, and I'm bringing a little blast from my past to the Booster Club today. Welcome Dr. Charlotte Marshall Powell, well-being researcher, consultant, psychology professor, doula, and my middle school and high school classmate. As we continue to celebrate Black History Month, Charlotte takes us through all of the different avenues of her career and how she has navigated the hurdles along the way, with her faith playing a major role in her success. Let me tell you, we laughed throughout this entire conversation. From earning her PhD at just 28 years old, to now directing the waters of entrepreneurship with a daring attitude that seems almost effortless, Charlotte talks about how she pulls inspiration from extraordinary Black women, both past and present, to continue building her legacy of greatness, opening doors for whomever comes after her to do the same. I do want to start today's conversation by just talking about the fact that you truly do have about 17 different jobs. Where you are in your career currently, have you always seen yourself here? You know, I think in some ways, yes. And here's what I mean when I say some ways. So I noticed pretty early on that I had a variety of interests that didn't really all come together with a neat little bow on top. And by that, I meant I would always ask people what they did for a living or how they spent their time. And I never quite came across someone who was doing all of the things that I find myself drawn to. In fact, I was often advised to not pursue multiple interests. You don't want to be jack of all trades. You want to at least be the master of one. When you look at all the different hats that I enjoy wearing, or even the ways in which I serve people well, there's a theme, there's a fabric of core concepts. You talk about being in jobs previously where you felt underutilized and you likened it to just exercising one bicep rather than your whole body, (laughs) which I really liked, by the way. I liked that Mm -hmm. analogy. What do you mean by this? And how did that experience of just working the one bicep show up in previous roles? It's funny. That visual, I think, just helps capture it so well. We've all probably been in the gym and seen that one weirdo that just is doing like bicep curls. And you're like, you want to squat? You want to do a push-up? Like something, a calf raise, maybe. And that's how my career felt. I felt like I was constantly exercising just one muscle or perhaps even fulfilling one category of expectations and finding myself still feeling unfulfilled. So I'll I'll use an example. So when I became a professor, which in and of itself is like one of those, how on earth did you do that at 28, Charlotte? Let's not even talk about what I was doing at 28. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I found myself in the hours that I was not professing, as people say, I was in my office and students were coming to talk to me about everything but course content. There are just all these other things that students wanted my advice on. And it was related to the course, but it kind of wasn't. And so what that did was open up an opportunity really for me to begin to exercise other muscles. I found that outside of the classroom, I still wanted to teach I still wanted to be in environments where learning was happening, but I also wanted to do some other things. So I got a chance to start exercising those other muscles. Hopefully I'm not that one bicep person anymore. You have to do a couple calf raises. Right, right. Just a couple. (laughs) One of the conversations you've engaged in is 
first generation college student success, which is a great topic for this month celebrating Black history because of how systemic racism can corrode our educational systems, obstacles before, during, and even after as it relates to paying back their inflated school loan rates. It's a topic that encapsulates the Black experience. Why was this particular conversation such an important one for you to learn more about and engage in? Excellent question. Quite a variety of things. I think the first thing that really came to mind was my family experience and mm-hmm. my parents. So, you know, Nia, we go way back. <laughs> Shout out to the awkward stage where I probably had braces and glasses all at the same time. You know, very early on, I remember noticing that my parents were very hardcore when it came to education and when it came to us growing, self-development, culture, sports. Like there really was no stone unturned when it came to empowering us and preparing us to one day go out into this world. As I began to reflect on what makes a parent parent like that? Mom was the first in her family to get a bachelor's degree. Dad's family, he was a physician and she was a nurse. They ended up moving to Portland and becoming really like living legends during a period of time because my grandfather delivered a lot of African-Americans in Portland because they weren't allowed to go to hospitals. So my dad grew up with these memories of my grandfather rushing out of the house in the middle of the night to deliver babies. So on the one side, you know, I have like that level of experience. And the other side, I have my mother who was from the South and moved up to the Northwest to go to college. And so I have these two complementary, really, dynamics fueling me to believe that I can do anything that I put my mind to. And so when I think about first-generation college students, I began to notice a pattern that if students didn't have someone in their corner rooting for them, reminding them, hey, people like you, they go to school here. People Mm -hmm. like you, they go on to do wonderful things. So that conversation I became very, very committed to and just resolute in advocating for. I have a student, a former student, he graduated. He happened to take my class one day, beginning of the semester. And, you know, I don't always get in my students' business, but every once in a while, I'll tap him on the shoulder and say, who are you? Who are your people? Why are you taking this class? What do you want to do with yourself? He just kind of looks at me. He's like, you know, I don't know. And I said, well, you should come to my office sometime. We can talk about it. He didn't come to my office right away. But a couple weeks later, he came up to me and said, I'm trying to register for my classes, but I don't know what I need to take. And I asked him whose advisor was and what their relationship was like. He said, you know, she kind of gives me a handout. She kind of doesn't. I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, I'll take a look. I'll give you some insight. Whatever you choose to do is up to you. I said, but if you have this challenge in other semesters, you can always come to me. So fast forward, this student tells me right before graduation, he said, you know, I had decided to drop out. He said, the day you looked at my schedule, I realized maybe you could help me. Not only did he graduate, but he's gone on to graduate school. He is now getting his degree to become a counselor, which was what he really wanted to do, but no one had told him that he could. And he has the highest GPA he has ever had in his entire academic career. Being willing to say, there's no question that's too silly. You know, if you just want an extra pair of eyes on something, I'm here. If not, that's fine too. That was enough for him to know that he could knock on my door. 
he knew that was a safe place for him. He knew he belonged there. But sometimes if you're first gen, you don't know how to run those streets. You don't know how to really even communicate sometimes what you need because no one in your family's traveled that road before. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Another one of my favorite stories, you turned down a tenure track position. And I remember you telling me this story and my jaw was on the ground the entire time. Of course, I'm going to ask you to tell it again. I, I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard this and no is a complete sentence and you don't have to explain your no, like, no, <laughs> the end, right? As soon as I graduated from my doctoral program, I came home for a summer and spent some time with my family and did not have a job. Funny enough, one day I was on my way to the airport actually, and I saw a sign for a school and I had this really, really strong knowing that I would end up working there. I had no reason to believe that other than I just saw the sign. I was like, I feel like I'm going to end up working. So one day, of course, a job pops up (laughs) and it was a teaching position, a one-year teaching position, which honestly, that felt like a good fit because I knew I liked to teach and I wasn't sure I wanted to like really commit to a school. I apply very quickly. They express interest, get there, start teaching. Things are going well. Interestingly, so I started teaching August, September, end of October. That same dean comes to me and says, you know, we need people like you here, like me. Okay. Okay, girl. In the world of academia, a tenure track position is it. For many people, that is the last stop. I guess word on the street, she had already decided she wanted to offer me that position. So by the time I went home for Thanksgiving break, my first year out of graduate school, I was in a tenure track position that I did not apply for. Now, the other thing about tenure track positions is that they are limited. They are rare. And in fact, you have to wait often for someone to either retire or expire for them to become available. So I get the position. Remember I said I had that strong feeling. I had another strong feeling that I wasn't going to stay long enough to get tenure. (laughs) And on top of that, I knew that I would be the first African-American period in the College of Arts and Sciences to become tenured. We're talking a lot of departments here. Oh They've never God. had an African-American. And here I was with this strong feeling. I'm like, oh, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's wrong, Lord. Maybe it's wrong. I am living as though I would get tenure. So I'm teaching. I'm getting excellent reviews. I am doing research. I'm doing service. Sure enough, right before I went up for tenure, the way life happened, I scheduled a meeting and said, hey, guys, <laughs> guess what? I mean, first of all, I think people started to want to do a wellness check. Like, is she okay? Like, blink twice, Charlotte. Are you okay? And funny enough, when I said I was leaving, the offers became even sweeter, if you will. Attempts to convince me to say, and I knew the answer needed to be no. It is a really amazing example of betting on yourself and trusting your gut, but also having full confidence in your faith. How does your faith boost you forward when you might not always feel like you can get over the line on your own? My walk with the Lord really just, oh, I could just well up because it wasn't that it made it easy in terms of like everything was crystal clear all the time, but there was an understanding that I wasn't by myself and that whatever I am doing with my hands does not equate my value. So yes, I am here teaching in a tenure track position and by worldly standards, that is the cream of the crop. And that's the most amazing thing. But I know if all that goes away, I'm still loved. 
you know, I still matter. And that level of, hey, like you, <laughs> you walk in the meetings a little different. <laughs> Salary negotiation for women in general. I read a statistic the other day, and I would be a part of this statistic that 64% of women said they didn't try to negotiate their salary the first time that they were hired for a job. Have you ever been in a position to negotiate your salary and how did that play out? Yes, I have twice. The first time, interestingly, they gave me a number and I went back and said, no, they didn't say no. It wasn't like no period, but no. <laughs> I encouraged them to consider a list of things that I brought to the table that I knew were unique to me. It did move. It moved considerably. And I was, I was all right with that. Here's the thing. You think you're just getting a cog in a wheel. Oh, no, no, no. You're actually getting someone who's bringing not just academic experience and not just work experience, but the culture of who, in fact, you are and the relationships that you're bringing to the table, the way that you think about the world, your lens through which you see everything, that is making every room better. That is making every meeting progress differently. All of that they get to invest in. You're above average. And you demonstrated that the moment you asked for something else. The second time around, I would say that was one position in which people around me were beginning to become concerned. One of my biggest indicators of well-being in terms of relationships, I always ask people, do you believe you can actually say no to things and your no will be respected? If you feel like you have a job where you cannot say no, I'm concerned. What happened there was I'd been asked to serve in a variety of capacities outside of my job description, particularly in 2020, as our society was observing all types of horrific, tragic, unacceptable murders. Some people did live. I mean, it was just like, we knew it wasn't new. It was just new to the news. I was asked to facilitate some panel discussions and write some blog posts and things like that as I'm keeping a list of all of the ways in which I'm adding value. I use this as an opportunity to renegotiate who in fact I am and what in fact I bring to the table. And I invited them to invest differently. I think it took about three weeks for the email to be acknowledged. I think by week four, there was not only acknowledgement, but an offer for the title to change to something that we've been discussing for the past year. And as well as the title change, there would be a change in salary. Now I had done the research and I knew the national average in salary. But again, I'm above average. (laughs) (laughs) When they told me what the number was and I told them at a minimum what I knew I was worth, I said, no, thank you. If I'm willing to show up and bring 100%, I also reserve the right to deny someone to bring me 30% and tell me to just take it. In many ways, that's a very privileged thing for me to even say, walk away from a job with benefits, you know, like that to a lot of people is terrifying. But I will say, you never will know what's on the other side unless you walk away. And what could be on the other side could blow your mind. Well, speaking of mind-blowing, what ended up being on the other side... You're a doula. Yeah. Of all the things that I talk about that I do, that one like warms me. You just had a birth. I did. I did. 
I will say birthing the birth world in these COVID streets is like, we just never seen anything like this before. And just the hospitals are, it's just new world healthcare workers. Many of them are doing the best that they can. They're serving, they are showing up. Many of us are staying home and they are fearlessly going in wave after wave to serve people. I believe this is a really good topic for Black History Month also because of advocacy for Black women in healthcare. I mean, we know what it's like. Do you interject in those situations too as an advocate for the mother if you see any sort of ill will or wrongdoing? So my goal is to never have to. My goal is to empower mom and dad to speak on behalf of their needs. Now, I do have an obligation to my client that if I were to see something that is beyond just difference in perspective, mm-hmm. but we get to the point where now you have crossed the line, I absolutely will report. It's rare. What tends to happen more than anything is, you know, I assume the best. Everyone in the room wants a healthy mom, wants a healthy baby, and they're doing their best. What does a Marshall Powell family recharge look like? Currently, we're a party of two. So, and my husband and I are actually pretty complimentary yet distinct. So, <laughs> complimentary but distinct was yeah. such a polite way to put that. <laughs> so polite. Well, it, it, the next part probably won't be as polite, but it is what it is. I'm very introverted. When I am not teaching or engaging in a relationship like this or a conversation, I am in silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing a puzzle, listening to peaceful piano. My husband is the extrovert of extroverts. <laughs> <laughs> he would love to be like at a concert, <laughs> like that's recharging for him. Yeah. So when we meet in the middle, it looks like a mixture of the two. So it probably is us listening to some really good music. And then he'll get up inspired and he'll go play, he plays a bass guitar. So he'll go play music and I'll go sit quietly and think about the music. Um, (laughs) Or it looks like us getting together with people that know us well and care about us. Mm -hmm. So if there's more than three people on the call, I get quiet. He gets louder, Mm -hmm. you know, and it (laughs) it all balances out. (laughs) Complimentary, but distinct. (laughs) All right. Black History Month. It's in full force here in the Booster Club this month. And I know it's important for you and your family as well. What all springs to mind when you think of Black History Month? So many things. Actually, just now I had a flashback to Black History Month. I remember my dad actually coming into my school and giving a presentation on Black History Month because he was like, it is more than Martin, Malcolm, and Rosa. Were we in school together at this point? Probably. I'm sure you were sitting right next to me. I was going to say, I vaguely remember this. Yeah, I think of a lot of things. I think of heritage. But then I also think of legacy. What will I leave? What will be said about me when I'm no longer here and able to speak for myself? I know you have this extensive network of Black women as mentors who have not only paved the way for you, but they've also offered some pretty great guidance along the way. How has having the support of other Black women within your multiple fields amplified you personally and professionally? There's something about having the kitchen table conversation everywhere you go that just reminds you that you belong and that you can do it. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many women 
I mean, women who have grown their companies to nine figures, women who were cleaning the bathrooms in my dorm in college that looked at me, made eye contact and said, go ahead, you can do this. You got it. That just reminds me that I'm doing this not just for me, I'm doing this for whomever is on the way. Right before I left academia, one of my colleagues said, and it's really sad, all the African-American students here that are going to miss out on having an African-American woman as a professor. I said, you know, actually equally as tragic for every white student, every brown student, every other student who does not have an African-American woman as a professor. They equally, if not more so, need to know that women like me teach. Mm. You have these really notable influences from Black history. Maya Angelou, Sojourner Truth, Madam C.J. Walker, and then some really amazing women from today who will inevitably become beacons within Black history themselves. Michelle Obama, our first Black first lady, and then Janice Bryant Howroyd, the first Black woman to build and own a billion-dollar company, which I didn't know before you told me that, by the way. What do these women mean to you, and how does their legacy continue to impact the legacy you're building for not just yourself, but the Black women that look up to you and will come after you? It can be done. That crazy dream in your head, the burdening that you have to do something that just seems impossible. So often we stop ourselves and try to think through, how am I going to do it? No, no, no. Start moving. When I think of those women, I think about, you know, when they were 10, what was mulling around in their mind? And who did they see around them? And did it look like where they are now? Probably not. But whatever it is, it can be done. And why not you? We couldn't be heading into our Booster Up segment on a better note. By now, you know, and the listeners know, these are two questions all of our boosters get to answer. Uh, You ready? I am. (laughs) There is a possibility that you have already touched on this in our (laughs) conversation, but what has been your career-defining moment so far? Choosing to work for myself as a full-time entrepreneur, choosing to say no to others and yes to this dream. I mean, it has just affirmed not only, yes, I can do hard things, but also those gentle, those quiet nudges, even that discomfort that I kept experiencing in those other places, that was all feedback that was not to be wasted. Finally, as you continue to learn and grow and maybe add another five or six jobs to the current 17 (laughs) years why not? (laughs) What is one thing you wish you could let the younger you know? It's all coming together. The hills, the headaches, the heartaches. It's all par for my course. And I get this from, from Maya Angelou. Just look up and say thank you. Even when you feel like you're getting kicked down, you can say thank you. You get up and then you kick that door even wider so that people coming after you can walk through a bit easier than you did. I was going to add on to that, but it doesn't even make sense to. (laughs) (laughs) What else do I say to that? That's a perfect way to end. I really appreciate it. I knew we were going to have a good time today, but this 
exceeded my expectations. Thank you so much for joining us today in the Booster Club. I anticipate our listeners are going to take so much from this because I took so much from this. I'm adding you to my speed dial after. (laughs) Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to add? I want to thank you. Yes. Because listen, you could be doing so many other things with your time. And the fact that even now you are choosing to invest your time in this way, it really just, it blessed me greatly. It blessed me greatly. And you have fueled me. Look, you think I got 17 now after this talk? Come on, let's go 18. I mean, there's so much to do. And what do they say? You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, you go together. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. To stay connected to what Charlotte is doing, including keeping track of those 17 jobs of hers, she will be featured throughout our Instagram page. So head over, give us a follow, and let us know what you thought of today's episode. Black History Month is still very much ongoing in the Booster Club, so tune in next week as we keep the celebration going. Again, thank you for listening to Boost Her where we will happily pull up a seat at the table for you as a reminder that while individually we may be great, collectively we are magic.